One of the things uh, we've been talking about over the last uh, couple of weeks is the life of Hezekiah. And with Hezekiah, one of the things that um, you know, we, I think we can relate to is this desire, or many of us, not, not necessarily every one of us, but um, many of us can relate to this desire to please God, this desire to do something big for God. And he's coming off of this um, in incredible high. And um, it just dawned to me, some of you might have no idea who I am, so I'll just say, I'm Bill Russell, I'm one of the elders here at Gateway, and if you're wondering why Ed's not here, it's because he's actually able to take vacation once a year or twice a year, not very often, but uh, he, is, he is here today, so could you just wave your hands so they know there is a senior pastor? All right, thank you, Pastor Ed. So um, now back to our regularly uh, scheduled service. The um, You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been watching this life of Hezekiah unfold. And we have watched him do pretty incredible things. In fact, most of the kings of, um, uh, of Judah, as I remember there's Israel now has been ransacked by Assyria. And the southern kingdom of Judah is the remnant. And Judah is now in a position of trying to figure out, are they going, well, I don't know if they're trying to figure out, but this is what they need to be figuring out, of whether or not they're going to completely turn to God. Hezekiah comes onto the scene. He's one of the few really good kings, and he sees some amazing things. But it starts first by him kind of cleaning up everything, right? So he gets rid of the idols, takes out the Asherah poles, and, uh, and then he's taking from there into this, uh, into this incredible situation where Judah is under siege, and the Syria is around, and this is what we were covering. And then as we learn through prayer and his faith, God does something miraculous. He takes 185,000 Assyrians, and those Assyrians in their tent are slaughtered by an angel. Sennacherib, the king at the time, he goes home. I mean, what do you do when all of your people just died? So he goes home, and his two sons murder him. And the story, as, as Alex brought us through last time, we got to see this power of prayer, this power of the impossible, the power of God working and doing miraculous things. It was an extraordinary story. But as so many times in our lives, those mountaintops are very hard to cling on to. We rarely get the luxury of staying on top of the mountain of being at that place where everything is going great. So we're going to read in 2 Kings, starting uh, in verse 1 of chapter 20, this account. And this is where we're picking up today. 2 Kings 20, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 11. In those days, Hezekiah became sick, and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept 
bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the things that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or back 10 steps? And Hezekiah answered, it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. So let's talk about disappointment. So when you guys think of disappointment, what do you think about? Because Hezekiah is dealing with a profoundly disappointing moment. Now, you know, I don't know if all of you see disappointment the same way. So there's the, there's the disappointment you have when you go to get your bowl of ice cream and there is no hot fudge. That's a certain level of disappointment. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's the disappointment when you show up at uh, your favorite restaurant or, or someplace like Chick-fil-A and it's closed. You all know why. Or the disappointment that comes from going to, you know, a, a, you want to go on a vacation, but you can't because apparently there's this worldwide pandemic that shuts everything down. So what you've been planning for years and saving up for, all of a sudden you can't go and enjoy. There's, there's those kinds of disappointments. And that's fine. But there are disappointments in life that are so profound and so earth-shattering that they rock your world. And I believe every one of us will experience at least a couple of those in our lifetime. And it looks different for each one of us. Maybe it's the career path that you poured into and you put everything into and you, you labor and you give it your all only to be told, you're not good enough, we have to let you go. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a phone call that you got and the lab tests are in and you have cancer. Maybe it's a loved one in your family that you know you love dearly, but they'll have nothing to do with you. There are, are so many different areas where we could experience this. But often, profound disappointment starts with an expectation. It starts with an expectation that God is moving us in this direction, but out of nowhere, course change, we're now heading over here. 
And this way is no longer possible. Profound disappointment. So let's examine Hezekiah's account here. I think it's important to understand where Hezekiah is. And what I mean by that is where he is at mentally. Now in 2 Kings, we get a certain snapshot of where he's at, but we actually get a glimpse of what his heart is in 2 Chronicles 29.10. And it says, now it is my heart, this is Hezekiah speaking, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. It's a very simple goal. It's, it's even a, a God-honoring goal. And so certainly it would make sense, being that you have this God-honoring goal, that, that God is going to make that happen. Especially if your heart, your life, is everything is bleeding into that. Hezekiah doesn't even have the benefit of being able to say, well, I, you know, I didn't see God do a miracle, therefore, how can I expect one now? He's, he's seen a miracle. So if God disrupts his course, it's going to be even more confusing. Hezekiah has taken down the Asherah poles, gotten rid of the idols, he's cleaned the land. It would seem like God is going to be working, and he is. He takes out the Assyrians, as we said, but he has not yet completely removed the Assyrians and their presence from Judah, and that's important. So it would seem that with so much devotion, with so much desire, with so much trajectory towards serving and loving God, that everything now should go okay, wouldn't it? And that's not, that's not what we see. Hezekiah has dealt a tough hand. He's dealt a tough hand. And there's actually two cards in his hand which are quite rough. First one is when Isaiah comes and says, uh, you're going to die. It says, uh, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die. Here's the second card, you shall not recover. In case you don't know this about Hebrew literature, repetition is used to emphasize a point. So the natural understanding of this is, not only are you going to die, this is a certain thing. You will not recover. Now, most of us, don't have any idea when we're going to die. I, I can't quite figure out what's happening here where all of a sudden God decides he's going to make it clear that he's going to die other than God has something bigger in store. So Hezekiah has dealt with this tough hand. What's he naturally going to do? Well, hopefully his pattern repeats, and it does, and he's going to turn to the Lord, and he's not only going to uh, metaphorically turn, he actually physically turns to the Lord. Now, in the passage, it says he turns to the wall, and I, you got to understand just how my mind works. I'm like, oh, there's got to be, like, I wonder if there's like a prayer wall. This, this could be like the temple. Maybe this is the temple thing. Like I, so I'm doing the deep dive. Turns out, he's just turning towards a wall. Um, in, his, in his court, there would most likely be several people around. So when he's handed this news and he is just pouring out to God, it's right in the middle of the whole court. And I don't know if you've ever experienced something so crushing where you collapse to your knees in tears because of what's happening and you no longer care that there's a whole group of people around you. 
And I think this is where Hezekiah was. So he, he turns to the wall, and he's, and he's weeping. And he immediately begins to rely on God, which is key. And that's where we all want to be. But um, I want you to pay attention to both what he does do and what he doesn't do. So I'm going to read this. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And he wept bitterly. You know, it's interesting. I find it fascinating that he didn't actually ask for healing. I wonder if he didn't think that was in the cards. I mean, after the second kind of double pronouncement there, I wonder if he didn't really think that was in the cards. So he is just pouring out, hey, remember what I've done. And I, I, I can't help but think it's more of a, please, God, make this count for something. Make my life count for something. But see, God had so much more in mind. See, God was eager to do something big. He was eager to do something big. Um, I, I want to tell you about uh, a friend of mine. His name is Big Bill. Big Bill, um, he's one of those guys, if you met on the street before he came to Christ, you'd be a little intimidated. Very big dude, hence the name, Big Bill. Um, cyclist, always wore like the jean jacket, little rough of a look. Um, rough cut dude. But after coming to Christ, he was amazing. Led his whole family to Christ. He shared the gospel with lots of people. I had the opportunity to spend several weeks with him in a Bible study. And we were spending time together studying the Word of God and hitting things like, how do you study the Word? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? How, is, uh, how does it work to share my faith with other people? All these different topics. It was awesome. You know, spiritual warfare, you name the topic, we were doing it. And about uh, three or four weeks in, he pulls me aside and says, hey, I got to tell you something. Okay. Says I, I had a, a bench warrant. I have a bench warrant out for my arrest. Okay. Uh, any police in here? All right, we're safe. Okay, so <laughs> apparently you're not supposed to do this, but I prayed through this, and here's where I landed. I was like, okay, I've prayed through this. I've thought through this. I'm just. I think we just need to keep studying the word together. We're going to do a deep dive together, and. I'm going to let God do whatever God does because I'm going to focus on just making sure you're equipped because I thought if he goes into jail now, everything's getting cut short. He's not, he's not prepared. He's not equipped. So we just kept spending time together. Well, uh, some time went by and uh, started to hear rumors of police looking for him. And then he went off grid. He went completely uh, radio silent. I had no idea where he was at. I had actually been around where he lived, but had never actually been to where he was living. I would pick him up and then bring him to the Bible study or, or to church or, or whatever. And he disappeared for days. And I'm calling his work, and they haven't seen him. And I'm, you know, I'm doing a thing trying to figure out what happened to Big Bill. Well, I finally track him down, and he's, uh, I find his, his place where he actually lives, and I go in and I talk to him. And it's clear, he's been wrestling with God. He's been in prayer. He's been focusing on what he needs to do. And he says, Billy, don't call me that, please. But that's what he said. Billy, he could do that because he was intimidating. Billy, I need to go turn myself in. 
See, he had reached this place where he was completely ready to turn everything over to God. What he did not know is how eager God was to turn everything for him. So we went to the courthouse together. We drove to the courthouse. We show up at the courthouse, and uh, he presents his driver's license over the counter to the officer behind there and says, I'm here to turn myself in. She explained, or she asked the question, why? Okay, why? And he said, I, I'm, you know, I had a lot of drug issues, and I missed my court date, bench worn out for my arrest. So she leaves, comes back, says, I'm, I'm sorry, can you tell me when your court date was or when your original offense was? And so he shares all that information, the court date, the original offense, and all that. She goes away, and there's this pregnant pause. And she, she comes back after being away for a few minutes, clearly trying to sort something out, and says, sir, there is no record of your original offense or any court date. I've searched the national computer system. There's nothing there. He said, well, what does that mean? She says, go home. Now, remind, just to remind you, the police were looking for him. It's not like this wasn't happening. Somehow, God had done something absolutely amazing. Not only was his slate washed clean because he put his faith in Christ, but once he was ready to completely yield to God, God did the impossible and wiped his record clean off of the national computer system. It's wild, right? See, God is often eager to turn everything, and that's not different here. In Hezekiah's case, there's actually several things. If you look, I've already mentioned the repetition. One of the things that we see in the repetition is this motif of turning. See, first Hezekiah turns, and I believe that's a certain symbolism in that. He's turning to God. But then there's another, there's another turning that's happening here, right? He's the prophet Isaiah is walking out, immediately does an about-face because God turns him back to go tell Hezekiah, you will live. I'm going to add 15 years to your life. And by the way, it's not just for you. I'm also going, I'm also going to free Judah from the Assyrians. This is an amazing thing because God is willing to turn back everything. And if, just if you thought turning back, uh, you know, Hezekiah turning wasn't enough, the prophet turning not enough, now Hezekiah is going to ask for a sign, and he's gonna, God is going to do the impossible again, and now even turn the shadows back. See, before Hezekiah is healed, he has some instructions to follow. There's, there's a couple things, right? You've got to wait three days. You have to go to the, the temple. Um, there is also this instruction of, I don't quite get this, uh, but apparently he's supposed to shove a Fig Newton on the boil. And uh, that makes it better. I don't know what the deal is with that. I did a little research. Apparently that was a thing. Um, I don't get the Fig Newton on the boil, but I guess that was a thing. Um, and then Hezekiah asked for a sign. God is so eager to respond to Hezekiah's request. He gives him this crazy sign. He wasn't just answering the prayer. He's gone above and beyond. I don't know why it's not enough for Hezekiah, for example, to just be healed. I right? Like, um, do you need a sign to, 
do something that's going to be pretty obvious so you were healed, but whatever. God is ready to work. He is ready to operate. And his sign is something that is, should not be possible. He's going to make so that the steps, that would, the steps of Ahaz would have acted a little bit like a sundial, not on purpose, just the way they worked, right? The shadow from the building or the things around it would actually, over time, move. And if you were observant, you would notice throughout the day that the shadows would lengthen. And God basically gives Hezekiah the choice. Do you want to see it work normally? Or do you want to see a miracle? And Hezekiah says, oh, okay, I guess I'll see a miracle. Can you make it go back? And then he does. And the, the shadow actually goes back 10 steps. God is so eager to respond. Now, the challenge is, as we look at these miracles, we look at, um, uh, you know, Hezekiah experiences this in, impossible power of God. And... Um, we, we do wonder, though, in that impossible, how does that work for us? How does it work for us, right? I mean, I, I, we've all encountered some tough stuff. And uh, there are times where God works extrinsically. He works on the outside, and we see amazing miracles. And there's other times where God's answer is more internal. And one of the problems that I had when going through this this passage is I was like, okay, I get it. Uh, God did an amazing thing. And I've got three points. I'll put them up here just to make, you know, show everybody the three points. You know, here's the great three-point sermon, right? Here you go. Turn to the Lord completely. This is all good stuff, by the way. I'm just making a little light of it. Accept his plan unconditionally and experience the impossible power of God. And I could have tap danced on these three points at each point along the way in the sermon and really emphasized it and had lots of nice pauses to really be impactful. Here's my problem with the three points. We see a life like Hezekiah where God is working powerfully and we sometimes just can't quite understand what does that look like. I, I, I want to turn to you, Lord. I want to I rely on you, Lord. I want to see impossible things. But what does this look like for me? And I realized as I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and I'm going to ask him to come up now, Kyle, uh, that there is no way in a single sermon that I could do this justice. But as I uh, was talking to, to my friend Kyle, and he's sharing his story, I'm like, holy smokes, you should be preaching. I don't even know why I'm going to get up there. I think you should do most of the talking. And so... I want to take that time now for you to hear Kyle's story. Will you, will you share with us? So I'm going to, I'm going to have him put up a picture of his family. Uh, this, is, this is Kyle's family, and um, maybe you could tell us about your family. And what I want, uh, Kyle, is for you to share with us kind of that progression. Right? You, you were in a high place, went to a very low place. Uh, I, and uh, how did you get from there? I mean, you're one of the most... I've told people, you're one of the most joy-filled Christians I know. And how do you do that? How do you get from that place? And the floor is yours. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, I'm at a high point today, Bill. Oh, well, yeah, excellent. I'm at a high point today, and it feels good. <laughs> but it hasn't always been that way, right? We heard earlier about being on the mountain and how it's real easy to see vision and <clears throat> clarity when you're on that mountain and God's given you everything we pray for, right? The, the perfect life, the way things, we would want things to be. And I grew up that way. I just wanted um, the perfect American family, you know, two kids and- American and, or Loudoun County? Uh, family. 
American, okay. American, sure. yeah, okay. yeah, two kids and a house. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I had a nightmare that I was going to lose my voice up here, and I, and I was just. You guys weren't going to be able to hear me, but it's actually not happening. I think it's that guy back there turned the mic off. No, he's but um, <laughs> so my family, what you know, talk about making you smile. But I want to uh, see in those pictures up there. But what I want to say first is some of the seemingly darkest days of my life were the beginning of a journey to some of the brightest and best days of my life. Um, my wife up there, uh, we've been married 37 years, junior high sweethearts, uh, got married at 17 years old, and uh, she deserves a medal for everything she's been through and putting up with all that from me because it was not easy <clears throat> marrying at that age and getting pregnant young and doing everything that we did. Joey, um, our son Joey was born in 1983. Uh, I was 16 years old. She was 17 when we had Joey. And uh, then we have my daughter, Marie, uh, I'm there with her, was born in 1985. And then our son, Kyle Jr., there, <clears throat> being funny with me, was born in 1990. Now, uh, Joe, going back to before my life with Christ, um, when I was 22 years old in 1989, Joey was hit and killed by a school bus. And uh, it rocked my world. You know, we were working for that family that I talked about. Marie, we had Joey, we had Marie, and I was heading toward that American dream. Now, I did not have a relationship with God back then, but I was working hard and I was doing my thing. And when Joey was killed, I didn't turn and pray to God. I turned and walked away from God, and I became angry with him. I'm not sure where it came from, but... I, I, I somewhere picked up a belief that God killed Joey to punish me. And so I spent 14 years very, very angry and very angry at God. And I turned to alcohol so that I wouldn't have to feel any of this fear and anger and grief and everything that we were dealing with. Looking back on it, my wife says that she felt like she lost a son and a husband uh, for all that time. So... Um, then, fast forward from 89, about 14 years in 2003, um, life got hard, life got tough. Now, a couple years prior to that, God put a man in my life that was telling me about Jesus. Um, he could only talk for a few seconds because I'd tell him to shut up. Um, but uh, he'd get little things in, and what, what he may or may not have known is I would find myself in my bed at night staring at the ceiling wondering if he was right. What if I'm wrong? What if he's right? So I decided to um, check it out by first stop drinking. So um, October 21st of 2003, I went an entire day without drinking. And that was the beginning of who I am today and our story, and now I have 17 and a half years uh, without a drink, uh, actually this year, which um, is amazing. But when I, when I stopped drinking and I started thinking about what this gentleman would say to me, I, I ended up in a pastor's office, right? And uh, that's where I accepted Christ. Um, and 
I got to know him a little bit in this little bit of time, but I'm going to fast forward to 2007. Um, and this was spring of 2004 when I accepted Christ and was doing what I felt God would want me to do in the right thing. And um, I celebrated four years of not having a drink, right, in, two, in October 21st, 2007. I was with some friends, and we were celebrating. I had this coin that has four years on it. And I came home, and I went to Kyle's bedroom. He's 17 at the time. I knock on the door, and he peeks through the door. What do you want, Dad? And uh, I said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? He comes out quickly, shuts the door behind him, because I'm not allowed in. That's just That's the rules. Teenager, Any teenagers know that and you're not allowed in. Um, so he came out and I showed him the, the coin. You know, I remember he grabbed that coin, he looked at it, he said, Man, Dad, I'm so proud of you. And he gave me a big hug, you know, we did our moment and said, I love you, and he said, I love you, and then he went back in his in his room. Eight days later, Kyle was in a car accident and he died. And what I want to share today is the difference between the death of my son Joey before Christ and the death of my son Kyle Jr. after Christ. Because Christ makes a difference on how we grieve, how we see things, how we go through things. So um, it started with when Kyle first, so we... Kyle had called me one night, I was on the sofa watching a movie with my wife and he was at his girlfriend's house and he said, Dad, I need a ride home. Um, and I said, I'm watching a movie with your mom, can you call your friend and friend's name? And um, Kyle's rode with his friend dozens of times and so Kyle goes, yeah, sure, I'll give him a call. Calls me back five minutes later, got great news, Dad. He said, he'll come and pick me up, I'll, I'll see you later. I said, all right, love you, son. He said, love you too, Dad. And, we went down to bed, and I remember I looked at my wife, and I said, man, Kyle should have been home by now, you know. Just about that time, we hear knocking on the door, beating on the door, and I go down, and it's a police officer. And he tells me there's been a terrible accident. And the driver of the vehicle's dead on the scene, and Kyle's being flown to Fairfax Hospital. So we, we show up at Fairfax Hospital. Now, there's already people there waiting for me because... The difference is before Christ, when Kyle died, or Joey died, I'm sorry, I turned to alcohol and ran away from God. With Kyle now, I built relationships. I called people. They were there waiting. They take us into the room and tell us that. I want to stop you oh, for a second because this you. is such an important part of the story. And I want to make sure we don't miss mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that we focus on here, specifically at, at Gateway, is the importance of our community because so much life happens with community and as I hear you tell your story I mean that's a that's a pretty stark difference first time it was pretty much not only were you as a couple alone you even isolated yourself from Chris but this time around um, not any easier necessarily but you've got now a whole group of people coming alongside sorry I just wanted to it's powerful. We, we, back then when this happened, they had that Verizon commercial on where the can't hear me now guy, can you hear me now guy had the group of a thousand people it looked like behind him, if anybody remembers that commercial. And that's how my wife and I felt 
when we uh, were dealing with this, like the church, the community, all the people that I had met that God put in my life, they were there for us and they supported us and spoke into us. And I'm gonna share a little bit about that. Um, so God gave me some words at Kyle's funeral that um, I stood up and shared and that those words were that we have decided, we talked about it and we decided that we're gonna love, trust, follow and honor God no matter what, no matter what, even through the death of our second son. And this time I didn't believe that God you know, killed Kyle, I, but I did believe that God allowed Kyle to die, right? I mean, God's God, right? I, I think if he wanted to, he could have waved his finger and, and stopped the accident, but, but he didn't. But when I say that we're gonna love, honor, trust, and follow him no matter what, what that looked like for me was asking a lot of questions of God and asking him why. Why did you allow this to happen? Not why, like slamming my, f I did have some of those days, want you to know, but I mean, you know, I was really focused on more, why did you allow this to happen? What do you want us to know? What do you want us to do? What do you want me to learn? Who do you want me to be? So we were at the uh, funeral home going back, going back now a few days before the funeral, we're at the funeral home and my mentor, um, he's a pastor, the same pastor I asked, uh, Christ into my life within that office end up being my mentor and we had made the arrangements and we're walking out and I asked everybody to please give me a moment with Fred and I started to look at Fred and I just was very emotional of course and I wanted to tell him how much I appreciate him so I look and, and I'm like Fred I just want to thank you and he stops me and he says don't put your trust in me don't put your trust in man Put your trust in Jesus. Man will let you down. I may let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. And talk about that community and that network. It's so important that we have people speaking into us and speaking those words into us so that we, you know, we can receive it. And God wants us to hear those words, you know? Yeah. Wow. So um, I want you to share with us, I mean, this is a, it's a process. It wasn't like instantaneous thing where you turn to God, boom, all was great, everything was wonderful. Um, it was a process. Tell us about that process a little bit, the part that where, I mean, there, there had to have been some really hard parts in that process of just trying to continually give that to God. Um, and then, you know, what, how did that, what did it look like in, as that was beginning to transform your heart and mind as you kept going back to the Lord? Well, some, I mean, grieving uh, and feeling it. The first time with Joey, I escaped. You know, I, I would get drunk and black out, and um, I just, it, I was just avoiding feelings. This time, I actually was going to grieve the death of my son, and it was very, very hard. So some of those moments in that process looked like me saying to God, you picked the wrong guy. I cannot do this, and curled up in a ball weeping and just in the fetal position, scared and wondering if I could even find the strength to get up. So I did have those moments, um, but more so I had the moments where God would, would um, more so I had the moments where 
like at Fred at the funeral home and what he said to me, the people that God, that God put in my life. So I'm going to go to a day that was about six months after Kyle died, and I'm feeling this, and I'm doing all kinds of phone calls. And I, um, somebody had recently shared with me the book of James, like, you know, be joyful under your trials. And I was, I was talking to God about that, but um, I wasn't in a very good mood. I was driving down the road, beating on my steering wheel. How am I supposed to be joyful about this? I mean, tell me, God, how am I supposed to do this? And later on that week, as I was going through this process, uh, and this is one of those stories that I actually wonder, did it really happen, or did God make it happen for me? I'm driving down the road, and I hear on this Christian radio station this miracle. They wanted to tell everybody about it. This 18-year-old boy had gotten in a car accident, just like our son. They said he was going to die with brain damage, just like our son. And they went to the hospital and called their pastors and prayed over him, just like we did with our son. But this boy woke up. He, he woke up, and it was a miracle. And he was healed, and he lived. And I wish that I could tell you that I was happy for them, but in this moment, I was not happy for them. Um, I became very angry, started shaking, pulled my truck over, and I have this thing that I do. I say, uh, God, who do you want me to call? And the first name that pops into my head, I call. And just for the record, they always answer. It's pretty wild. <laughs> so if they don't answer, I'm like, must have heard you wrong, Lord, you know? <laughs> so I call this, this guy, and uh, I tell him the story that I just shared with all of you. And he's quiet for some seconds. I assume he was praying. It's a pretty, pretty tough thing, right? He's asking God to give him some words. And he says to me, he says, Kyle, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why God saved that boy. And he chose to call your son home. We may never know. But what I do know is that the creator of the universe trusts you. He trusts you to do the right thing. He trusts you not to drink. Trusts you to be there for your wife and your daughter. And I went from shaking and anger, and I dare to say rage, to tears streaming down my face and just realizing that the creator of the universe trusts me. And then I thought, I sure hope you didn't make a mistake, Lord. Like, you know, maybe you picked the wrong guy again, right? But, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. We know that, right? He knows everything about everything. And so we chose to love, honor, trust, and follow him no matter what. And that's what the process looked like. It was like this for a time, you know. And you get to that day where you go home and you look at your wife and I go, today was a good day, yeah. you know. Thank you. That's, that's powerful. I want to uh, bring up a picture that you sent to me, which I just thought was a pretty cool picture, and then the story behind it's even more. Um, can you bring up the next slide? The, um, I'll wave. There we go. So, um, I know part of this picture is really a story about this. Uh, there, there was, even though we, we talk about the turning was a process, the the process you guys had to go through, you, you said it was like a roller coaster a little bit, but, um, but there was a definitive point 
where there was a dramatic change, where the Holy Spirit showed up and did something really cool. And this photo is actually part of that story, so I want you to share that with us. Yeah, every time I see this picture, I, I smile and I just get filled with uh, joy because, uh, so I'm going to go back to the fall of 2004. Remember I had said in the spring of 2004, I asked Christ into my life in the pastor's office. Earlier I had said I did it right. I did it by the book, but it's not really. I don't think that's in the Bible. You can ask Yeah, Christ Yeah, I, he, er, in the first service he had made a big point about he got saved the right way by being in the pastor's office. So, uh, <laughs> but we kind of came to the conclusion that you don't actually have to be in the pastor's service uh, or office to be saved. So. You could be anywhere. Yeah. So uh, fall of 2004, I, I'm a bass fisherman. I fish competitively, so I had qualified for a regional tournament uh, at Lake Wheeler in Alabama. And I had, uh, I, I, there was this retreat the same weekend I was going to leave, but the retreat that I would normally have went to, I couldn't go to because it was the following weekend when I was going to be in Alabama. So somebody hooked me up with this different retreat because I used to go every year. Well, at this different retreat, they talked about Jesus. And um, I know that in the, in the spring, I asked Christ into my life, but um, I, didn't, I, I didn't change a whole lot between the spring and the fall. You, you know what I mean? So, so I go to this retreat, and they're talking about Jesus, and it really impacted me. There was a reason God had me at this retreat, and the tournament was interrupting the regular retreat. So I come home. My bags are packed. I got a 12-hour drive to Alabama. I jump in my truck, kiss my wife goodbye, and I'm pretty emotional at just feeling all this stuff, you know, going back to looking at the ceiling and what if they're right stuff and lots of questions. Took time to heal. And uh, jump in my truck, I'm driving along, I got this 12-hour drive and I decide I'm going to talk to God uh, for the first time without a pastor praying for me, right? Good. Yeah. I don't know if it was still official, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it sounded something like this, and I, I, I mean it, like it was like, um, God, um, if you're there, um, and then, you know, I wanted to talk to God, and, and what I said to God was, I want to believe everything that everybody's telling me so badly but you know me, God. I mean, after all, they say you created me. You know that I'm going to need a sign because that's just how I am. That's the logical side of me. So I'm praying this and I'm waiting. I've seen this show, Touched by an Angel. So, you know, I know, I know, I know how it works, right? Like, you know, stuff, right? So I, I'm looking over my passenger seat waiting for, you know, Michael Landon or somebody to show up, <laughs> you know, and say something to me and, say it's true Kyle it's real and you know on that drive I did a lot of talking to God a lot of questions a lot of crying asking God to forgive me and because I turned my back on him for 14 years and it was hard for me to believe that he loved me that much that he would be okay with that and just wipe my slate clean so it, I'm on this drive and it's the first time I heard the song Live Like You Were Dying by, by Tim McGraw. I have really no idea what that has to do with the story, but I tell it every time because it means something. I know I cried when I listened to the song. So <laughs> I get I mean. to Alabama. I check into my hotel room, 
And um, next morning I get up and I go fishing for 14 hours on this lake wheeler. And either the lake didn't have any fish in it or I didn't know what I was doing or my theory was this is what happens when you try to do business with God. He just punishes you more by not letting you catch any fish for 14 <laughs> hours on the lake. Now I'm here for a bass tournament. It's pretty important that I catch some fish. Anyway, I fished all day until almost dark trying to figure this place out, and I couldn't get a bite, not one. So I go back to my hotel room, go to bed, get up in the morning, and it's sheet raining. I mean, like the kind of rain that floods places, you know? And I, oh, this is great. So now, God, you got to, I mean, can't you put the sunshine out or something? So now I'm, I, I see God. I'm getting my sign. I, I, I think something I want to say that I didn't say in the earlier service was, it's okay to be real with God. I was going to say something about the sheet, but I was going to use a phrase that might get me in trouble. But yeah, the sheet rain is just... It's horrible. Yeah. Especially when you got to go fishing. Right. Yeah. So I put my rain gear on, I get out in my boat, and I, uh, I go to this place. It's called Decatur Flats on Lake Wheeler. And I fish for about four hours. No bites, no nothing. And I'm just fishing away, and I'm aggravated. I'm kind of mumbling, grumbling, upset with God, talking. And uh, I hear a noise, like a fish break or something behind me. I turn around and look, and I see the rainbow. This picture does not do it justice. And let me promise you, I'm colorblind, so I don't see color like normal people see color. But this rainbow, it blew my mind. Like I seen colors I've never seen before. And I felt something, now I know who he was or who he is, the Holy Spirit, but I felt something and it was overwhelming and tears started streaming down my face and I clearly heard God say, it's true, it's all true. I love you that much. I'll wipe your slate clean. And I was overwhelmed, so I, I, but I'm fishing, I'm, I gotta catch some fish. So I turn around and cast my lure and it hits the water and I turn my handle two times and hooked up with a fish. And, and said, I love you, Jesus. That's I what said, I love you, Jesus, yes, yes, yes. Not because of the fish. <laughs> well, okay, not because of the fish, all right? But um, here's, here's the thing, I dropped to my knees you know what I mean? And I truly believe that's the day that I really accepted Christ. You know what I mean? Not the process of accepting Christ, but really believed and he gave me this sign. And uh, just for the record, I did horrible in the tournament. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like down near the last place position. But I came back and I was happy. I was like, God, thank you so much. You know what I mean? It didn't even matter anymore. The things that mattered didn't matter as much after I really accepted Christ. He changed the way I look. Now, last thing I wanna share is this picture. What you can't see, like I said, is the vivid color that I seen. What you can't see through the picture is what I felt. And the reason you can't see or feel that is because you can't take a picture of the Holy Spirit. But what I will say is, when you accept the Holy Spirit, He changes your picture changes your life. So today I'm at a high point. Awesome. Even though we've been through everything we've been through and we praise God, I love you beautiful. 
and I'm thankful that I can sit up here and share the grace of God, his love and mercy. Thank you, everybody. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. You can uh, see why I wanted to do that at the end and not to open the sermon uh, with that. Um, that's an incredible story, is it not? I'm, uh, one of the things that is, is challenging when we go through the Word of God is sometimes we see these crazy examples, we see these amazing examples, and it's hard to understand how that plays out. Some of us here, that quite possibly have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want to just plead with you, if you have never done that, today should be the day. You know, there is a, there is a process where God woos us, where God begins to call us, but then there's also a moment where we say yes, Lord, today, I want to turn to you. Scripture makes it so easy. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can just cry out to God and let him know. You don't even have to be in Pastor Ed's office, in case you're wondering. But what I will say is this. If you want to talk to somebody or make sure that you understand, uh, we have a couple of ways you can do that. You can text us at 571-536-2400. Uh, it's on the screen. Uh, or you can send us an email at info at gatewaychurch.org and just say, I want to turn to Jesus. You don't even have to use those words. You get close. We'll figure it out. And we would love to come alongside of you and help you on that. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you that you change hearts, that you change even circumstances, that you can do impossible things even with us. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to turn to you, accept you completely, and to be able to experience impossible things with you. In Jesus' name, amen.